back to another edition of the Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we are coming to you today with a- another wonderful episode. Sam, why don't you run us through what we got on the docket? So a lot of things have happened in NBA free, free agency in the one week since we left you guys. So there's way too much to tell you every deal that happened. It would take hours, but we're just going to run through some of the more interesting developments that caught our eye. We're going to cover a couple things that, that happened in, in week, week 11, I guess, of the NFL. I guess, uh, if it has to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's week 11. Um, you know, one really sad piece of news with, with Joe Burrow getting getting some a pretty bad injury. Hate to see it, but we're going to cover some of the NFL. And then finally, we'll cover a little MLB news, but the main segment of this is going to be, if you're a faithful Alonzo Bet listener, before the MLB season started, Aaron and I both made five bold predictions on air. And we promised you we we're going to hold ourselves accountable. So we are holding that promise. We're going to go back through our those bold predictions, let you guys know what we got right, what we got wrong, or in my in Aaron's case, just what we got wrong. Look, let me just uh, say off the top here that this was not my idea. I was happy to skirt our commitment to you guys uh, and pretend like we never made it. Uh, you know, not that many of you even listened to that episode. But Sam has been kind enough to bring back our predictions uh, from before the 2020 season. Um, mine are not what we would consider a gold standard in prediction making. Um, they are a bronze or below standard. Uh, but you're going to have to stay to find out because there are some truly bad ones in there. But Sam, let's start on the hardwood here. Okay. Let's uh, try to do Naismith proud and let's go through the NBA free agents who've signed that we care about. Again, as Sam mentioned, there are too many free agents um, for us to list every single person who signed. But Sam, has anybody caught your eye in particular? Why don't you just uh, shout out a few that you think are interesting? So just a few that were that are, you know, just interesting signings that I don't think we really need to spend much time talking about. KCP had a three-year, $40 million contract with the Lakers. His partnership with, with Rich Paul and Clutch Sports has maybe been one of the most fruitful partnerships in financial history where just he continues to get paid as just a totally, you know, average 3 and D player, but a piece that the, the Lakers needed, so they, they got him back. Um, they lost out on the return of Dwight Howard, who a day after promising on Twitter – that he would be returning <laughs> to the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, signed a one-year $2.6 million contract with the 76ers. So one of the, the first signings of Daryl Morey's uh, tenure for the Sixers. But the Lakers um, the Lakers don't need him because the Lakers went out and they took two other relatively big-name guys who play in a similar spot. The Lakers got Marcus Gasol, who, don't get me wrong, is not the Marcus Gasol of old necessarily, but they got him on two years. He's going to be extremely productive for them as a pass through the post type player, which is something that we know from seeing LeBron with Chris Bosh. And he's now a more polished, more complete player than he was on those heat teams. We know that he can thrive in an environment like that. Um, they went out and got Montrez Harrell, who is going to play a lot of defense on that end and guard similar positions to James, maybe with a bit more size. Um, so they're even without locking a D back up yet. Um, they're in pretty good shape. 
Yeah, and the Montrose Harrell one was surprising to see as he's been sort of a big clipper for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, many Clippers fans may feel betrayed that that he went cross town to the Lakers. Um, so now let's get into. Uh, well, let let so, me stick so with other... the Lakers and just mention. Sorry, one funny All thing right, here. The Morris brothers, Markeith and Marcus, have had the weirdest brotherhood professional sports relationship I've ever seen. They played on the same team. They played against each other fiercely. They're both like extremely competitive, extremely physical players on the floor with a bit of an edge. Um, They now find themselves and the season ended this way. So it's not like crazy news because they both just re-signed with the teams they were on. But I always find it funny. Markeith is on the Lakers. Marcus is on the Clippers. Marcus, certainly the better player of the two, but they very well could see each other in the Western Conference Finals next year. And I imagine uh, that could make for a bit of drama. So let's let's see yeah. what happens there. My favorite Morris Brothers story is that they once beat up a man for sleeping with their mom. Yeah, this is true or widely <laughs> reported, I should say. Yeah, widely reported. I'm not sure if it's a, if it's an urban myth. So there um, were a couple max extensions too, Sam. Um, Donovan Mitchell gets the max. Jason Tatum gets the max. Um, and I agree with both of those right off the bat. I think they make a lot of sense. But De'Aaron Fox getting the max extension with the Kings, what do you make of that? Yeah, well, let me just say with Tatum and Mitchell, Tatum is, that's a no-brainer, Max. That's one you're excited to do. Mitchell is, I think, a guy you have to max if you're Utah. Like, he's such a good young player. You don't want to lose out on those players. But I could imagine some future where Utah's not super happy they have Donovan Mitchell under the max. I don't think that's going to be the case. Maybe, but I would but, say Utah's definitely happy right now. Utah was happy to sign him to a max extension. Having the opportunity to do that on, in a franchise with a player of that caliber is a win. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Like, I think you're happy with if you're Utah that you have Donovan Mitchell, Max, a great find in the in sort of the, the late lottery of the draft for them. That, that's a real win when you find players like that. I just I don't think he's ever going to compete for an MVP like say Jason Tatum. Yeah, um, I understand that. Darren Fox, I think now that's a bit more of a question. Coming off of two seasons ago, you might have thought it, it was definitely going to happen. He looked like a rising young star in the league, but you know he certainly wasn't bad this past season. But I don't I I don't think it's crazy to say that it you know he didn't quite seem like the same rising player that he was the year before. I still think he's a great young player, an incredible in transition, like explosive to the basket, a good passer, but, you know, out of the point guard, you know, position, maybe not quite the shooter that you'd want in today's NBA. And, you know, maybe if you're the Kings, you feel like, you know, he's one of the best talents you've had in a while. And, you know, he's definitely a piece you want to build around and I'm not going to fault you for that. But this is definitely one that gave me a bit more pause and I can imagine two or three years from now, you know, we're thinking of it more like the Wizards are thinking about the John Wall contract, Mm -hmm. like the Rockets are thinking about having to get out from under this Russell Westbrook contract, you know, these super athletic point guards who can't quite shoot in today's NBA, you know, they really need to be really efficient and good in other areas of the game to make it worth it. Um, Yes. I, that's, that's, I agree. That's my perspective. 
I agree. And we'll have to see what happens with him. Um, but let's just run through a few more. I see Goran Dragic signing two years, 37.4 mil with the Heat. This is great for the Heat. They obviously wanted him back. They're putting out billboards in Slovenia or wherever he's from. Um, and they get their man right there. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, Sam's boy. Sam's absolute homeboy. Actually, two of Sam's boys from his fantasy basketball win this season both signed contracts. I'll let you take the stage, Sam. Fred Van Vliet and Christian Wood, if you don't know him, check him out. Two of Sam's saviors this season. Uh, what'd they do? Yeah, Fred Van Vliet signed a four-year, $85 million contract to return to the Raptors. Really a great story for Fred, Fred Van Vliet, who was not a heralded player coming out of college. Good, four, you know, good multi-year starter at Wichita State, but was not expected to be much in the NBA. And he's really built a tremendous career in Toronto, where one of the, you know, the guy really getting the big time buckets at the end of the of the finals two years ago when the when the when the Raptors won the whole thing and the guy who I think was was maybe along with Lowry their most important piece in the playoffs this year uh, where Pascal Siakam definitely you know I think is their most important piece moving forward but really looked pretty bad in the playoffs this year I think it's a it's a great deal for the for the Raptors where I per, I. You know, I like Fred Van Vliet as a player on a winning team, as a yeah. on a winning team, more than I like De'Aaron Fox. I agree. He's a guy that can that can shoot the three, that has, you know, the sort of poise and dribble moves to get to the basket and score. That's a really good defender at, at the point guard position. Despite and, you know, being undersized. Actually, yeah, despite, despite being undersized. Just a really good, smart player who continues to get better. Right. And – you know, I was really, you know, there were some rumors that the Knicks would be in play for, for FBV, and I was really hoping that the Knicks would be able to get their hands on him. I think he's a good transition piece as, you know, for a team that's building for the future and wants to start to compete a bit more in the mm-hmm. present. But this is, of course, Let a RJ move the off Raptors. the ball, too, which I think would be good for him. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, of course, a, a big win for the Raptors to get him on, like, I think a slightly below market value uh for a player of his caliber yeah but maybe maybe no mistake, my man got paid like he's getting paid 21 and a quarter every year yeah no he's definitely you know he's definitely from where he started in the league this is a massive contract uh but i think i think it's obviously a great fit the raptors a great organization the one that developed him by all accounts he really wanted to stay in toronto so didn't really explore going to other places all that much I'm happy for Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, me too. The other guy you mentioned was Christian Wood, who really, he got a three-year, $41 million contract with the Rockets. And yeah, that, he seems like a, a good steal. guy. To, yeah, seems like a good young player to build around Hargan if you're trying to convince Hargan to stay. Uh, athletic, good rebounder, good at scoring, you know, in the paint. Uh, and this is a guy who, you know, Aaron talked about him being a big piece of my fantasy team. If I'm being totally honest, I had no idea who he was halfway through the season. <laughs> no one he did. Getting up, he started getting on a run with the Pistons. I picked him up, and the run never stopped. And he was a big piece in, in me ending up winning our fantasy league. And, there. and this was early, and it speaks to what a great season he had. He kind of comes out of nowhere. And he was just an absolute monster last year. Um, and so it's good to see him kind of get recognized for – 
you know, what he did, because this is a guy who's been in the league for a while. You broke in in 2015, you know, he's already 25, which isn't too old, but it's, it's legit. But last season, he just goes off and the season before, actually, he was good too. We didn't really know him. He scored better the season before, but this year he uh, rebounded a little better. Um, He played a little bit better defense. He expanded to the three point line, which is huge. So some athleticism shot, you know, almost 39% from beyond the arc. And for a big guy with his rebounding skills, that's, that's a big deal. So I, I like this a lot for the Rockets. They also go out and get big man Boogie Cousins, who I was just telling Sam, you know, before the show, I personally think, despite him being a rough and tumble guy who, you know, has some negative image, I think, in public media, uh, he's a damn good basketball player, or he was the last time he was fully healthy. He, he had a season where he was like a top five player in the league. I think that the NBA is better if he can be healthy and good. I think that Rockets team is really scary if he could be healthy and good and they risk nothing. They end up taking him on a one year non-guaranteed contract. And that's what you have to do for a guy who hasn't stayed healthy in three years, but you never know what could come here. I would not be shocked to see a surprise performance by Boogie this year. If he can stay on the floor. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he's, Definitely the last time he's healthy was one of the most skilled big men in the game and a great player off, you know, often the question with him has been his sort of locker room presence, not a guy that people have enjoyed coaching that have enjoyed being teammates with. And we'll see if he can maybe accept more of a role player role if he wants to work his way back into the NBA, because I think he thinks of himself as a star and if he's not willing to sort of play a role for a team as he tries to get healthy, tries to reprove himself in the NBA, I'm worried that we're headed towards the tail end of Melo's career type thing. Or even like Dwight before he settled down. Like I, 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 I I get that. That's not, um, that's not unfair. So Melo who who did, you know, play a decent role for the, for Portland last year did resign with Portland who I think has had an excellent off season really shoring up, uh, some some things in their lineup yeah they're definitely making moves we'll we'll have to see if it's enough um I always worry with Portland that like they have Dame you know they have McCollum but they never seem to have enough to compete with the powerhouses in the west because the west is always stacked so we'll see what they end up doing um, I do want to point out uh, to our listeners that Monday Night Football is currently going on. Uh, we will be following the game, kind of let you know what's going on. It's just 7-7 right now. Two touchdowns are scored so far, and I just want to let you guys know. First touchdown was uh, Robert Woods. Uh, we had him on the first touchdown, so we cashed out with that. Second touchdown. I didn't have him. Only you have him. Second touchdown was Mike Evans. I had him on insurance, so we're getting our insurance back on that. Um, Sam has Malcolm Brown in insurance. That's what we're rooting for. Now we need Malcolm Brown to run one up the gut. So, um, keep that in mind while you're watching the replay perfectly timed with our episode tomorrow, as we know, most of you like to do. Robert Woods, a man I traded off my fantasy team early today after a few bad outings gets a touchdown. Hate to see that Mike Evans, a player that I had in a trade offer before the week ended up for Robert Woods. I ended up doing the trade offer for, uh, for Calvin Ridley instead, which I still think was the right decision, but he played well. Evans, Evans already with the touchdown, that's going to be better than Ridley. 
And let me just go through some of the fantasy luck I've had. It in the the fantasy luck you've fantasy, had. We're going to talk about the fantasy luck you've had, Sam. Well, let let me just talk about it a bit. In that same trade that I give up Robert Woods, I give up Gio Bernard, who at the time I thought it would be one more week of him starting with Joe Mixon. The next day, Joe Mixon is placed on IR, so I lose the starting quality running back. Although he only uh, had nine points. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think he'll also now be considerably less valuable with the Joe Burrow news. Um, mm-hmm. The other big piece of fantasy luck that I want to talk about is I don't know how many of you play fantasy football, but a big topic of debate in the fantasy community this year, uh, this week, was that Taysom Hill was named the starting quarterback for the Saints with Drew Brees injured. And Taysom Hill carries a tight end designation. And ESPN decided to keep it that way. So my opponent was able to play Taysom Hill in his tight end spot. As a quarterback, scores much more points than a tight end. He ended up scoring 24 points. I lost by 14 points. His actual tight end is Noah Fant, who scored nine points. If he had played Noah Fant instead of Taysom Hill, I win the week. So because of this absolute bullshit coming out of ESPN, letting a quarterback playing a tight end spot, I lose this week. I want to say, so Sam and I litigated this a bit before the episode, so I'll, I'll kind of fill you in on where we're at. Sam believes, and obviously jump in if I misrepresent you here, Sam, Sam believes that if any player is playing at quarterback for a given game, they should not be allowed to be slotted into another position because quarterbacks do score way more than any other position, right? Like a good, good quarterback game, a great quarterback game is like 40 points, and that can happen multiple times in the season for a really good quarterback. Um, It's going to happen like two times for position players total or something like that. Um, so Sam saying when he plays quarterback, he shouldn't be allowed to play any other slot. I say, this is such a unique value. There's one guy in the league right now who fits this bill. I imagine over the next couple of years, we will see a couple more, but even if there's four or five guys in the league, I don't think you legislate around this. I think you just have to be a team that wants to take that value. Cause it actually, it's one thing if you pick them up on waivers, because that's what happened here, but I, because the advantage is so large, I think the market will naturally correct that and you won't see that moving forward. And so a player like that will get drafted. They'll eat a bench spot when they're useful for maybe two weeks a year. Now, of course, the catch is that when they're starting at quarterback and slottable in another position, they are like week changing on a regular basis. They really totally change the dynamic of a week. So it becomes a question of strategy. Do you want to burn that bench spot for somebody who will for sure be a killer for you a a couple of weeks? I think it makes for an interesting wrinkle in an otherwise 100% luck oriented activity. Um, It's still still luck oriented if if the starting quarterback gets injured and you get to play no, but you kind of bank on you kind of bank on that, ha- especially playing with Breeze at his age right now. And I imagine Breeze will be there for another year at least. Um, you kind of bank on two games a year, right? Maybe they don't show and you just ate that spot the whole season, or maybe you gave up in week 13, drop them, and someone gets them on waivers, and you're a fool. Right? Like it's it's all part of it. Um, I like it, but 
I understand why you're I upset. You, I don't think you would have liked it if you lost this week. Well, that's what I was going to say. If I had lost to it this week, I would probably be going nuts right now. But the fact is I didn't, so I'm able to take a level head to it. If you guys want to give us your opinions, we'd love to hear some. We'll talk about this. This is, you know, fantasy's fun. We love these games because they're super analytically inclined. There's some game theory. There's a lot of statistics. Um, and so if you have an opinion on this, let us know. We'll talk about it on the show. Or if you have another fantasy gripe you want to get out there, find us on Twitter at the Alonzo Bet or send us an email, thealonzobet at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, but with that, let's talk a little bit uh, NFL news, the big, the tough, tough, tough one. Joe Burrow going down with what originally was called an ACL. Actually, originally, he just cryptically tweeted, not going to get rid of me that easy. Be back next year. Like the news had not broken that he had, you know, ripped his ACL to shreds. And then it was reported that it was the ACL. Now I'm seeing that it's extensive structural damage to the ACL, the MCL and the meniscus. And Ooh, it didn't look good on the field, but hearing the multiple areas of the knee that this has now gone to um, is not just sad because he was having a good season and the Bengals were finally kind of fun and it was looking good, but it's scary because that's a big time injury. I actually don't know whether it was his plant leg or not, but I could imagine if that's his plant leg and he just totally destroyed the ligaments in his knee, the rehab from that, some guys are going to come back. Some guys are just tough. I'm sure that he's one of them, but it also requires a physical component. Some guys' bodies just won't heal to full strength ever again. And that's what you need because as, as an NFL quarterback, you got to have that, that plant leg set. Um, man, man, I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. It really sucks. He looked like absolutely the real deal for the Bengals. You know, I think we can assume that he's going to come back, that he's going to be a good player when he returns. But yeah. of course there are big questions. The big comparison I've seen thrown around on sort of a comparable injury was Carson Wentz's knee injury at the end of sort of the his his MVP campaign in 2017, uh, where the Eagles, of course, famously went on to win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles as their quarterback in the playoffs. But what people you know have forgotten is that Carson Wentz was sort of the presumptive MVP of that season before mm-hmm. he had this knee injury and. Carson Wentz, of course, is not playing well this season, has looked, you know, like a good NFL quarterback since coming back, but it's never really completely returned to the the form he had in that one magical season. Now, of course, a lot of quarterbacks don't repeat the performance of their best career season, but that was only year two for him. And he looked like sort of a future, he looked like Mahomes basically before Mahomes, uh, not not like all the insane throws, like generational talent, but he looked like, you know, the good, like the guy who was going to be the guy in the league for years to years mm-hmm. to come. And that's not what his career has been since the injury. So, of course, you know, it's hard to say whether that's because of the injury. I still think Carson Wentz has some good years in his future. I think he might need a change of scenery. Um, but, you know, that's what could happen out of this you know, where Joe Burrow looked like he was going to be one of the guys in this league for years to come and doesn't quite get back there. I hope it's not the case, but 
but there's this uncertainty. Yeah, and just for reference, guys, he was throwing the ball just as much, if not more, than anyone in football. He had 404 attempts from under center, 264 completions, good for 65%. He had 13 tuds to five INTs, which isn't too bad. Um, you know, and his QB rating was pedestrian, 58 and a half. Um, his true completion rate at about 90%, which is much lower than what he was doing in college. But the thing is, it kind of was the eye test. Like he looked good. He looked like he belonged in the NBA. Sometimes you see quarterbacks that you just, you're like, this guy does not belong in the NBA or in the NFL. I did that twice. Uh, Yeah. I I think he looked like he belonged in the NFL. I couldn't imagine him really even holding down a 12th man spot for both teams in the NBA. No, I, I agree with you on that point. Um, but he just looked good. So this is very, very sad news. Um, and, you know, we'll have to see what comes of it, really. We're hoping for the best, obviously. So with that, let's just do a little whip around to the NFL, some crazy games. My Cardinals fell to the Seahawks uh, on Thursday Night Football. The Seahawks D finally showed up. Um, at I mean, they still allowed 21 points, but the Cardinals had been rolling offensively. And I think for the Seahawks defense to hold the way their offense had been playing to 21 points was a big win for that defense that just looked awful for the last couple of games. We saw some breakdowns on Twitter running the same play over and over again after a broken play so that the offense knew what it was. We saw players playing hurt. We saw blown coverages, absolutely no man, absolutely no zone awareness. They looked bad, but somehow they held it down against my birds. Um, So that hurt. Uh, Then a couple other interesting games. I mean, the Texans kind of took it to the Pats, but not as badly as the Panthers took it to the Lions, Sam. The Lions, not a good team, but the favorites in that game – and the Panthers just went out and pummeled them 20 to nil. Let me say something about that Texans pass game is that people may not realize that this game could decide the entire future of the NFL. And let me explain why. The Jets and Jaguars are in a battle for the number one pick to draft Trevor Lawrence. The Jets have a game in hand, but honestly, they've looked like they could win a game the last two weeks, almost beating the Patriots having a chance to go ahead, you know, tie the Chargers on the last drive this week. They're starting to worry me with, with the ability to get a win with their three starting receivers all, all healthy now. Their offense looks like a competent NFL offense. The Jaguars, on the other hand, they're looking worse and worse. They lost 27-3 to to Pittsburgh this week, I think. And Pittsburgh their with a good was- defense, but I expected them to put a touchdown in. James Robinson now finding the end zone cost me a big payday, folks. So I am salty about that game. That's why I didn't mention it. But, but yeah, but let me, get to the, let me get to the point that I was trying to make, which is that if the Jets do pick up a game and the Jacksonville lead wins out, the tiebreaker will be strength of schedule for who gets the number one pick. And the team with the easier strength of schedule will get the number one pick. Jacksonville going into the week was up about 590 to 550 on the Jets in strength of schedule. Uh, sorry, the Jets had a 590, Jacksonville had a 550. So the Jets needed the teams they play in their schedule to lose and the team that Jacksonville plays to win. Well, Jacksonville's in the Texans division, so they play them twice. And the Patriots in the Jets division, so they play them twice. So what we saw was a four-game strength of schedule swing right there, a 2-0 versus 0-2 as opposed to an 0-2 versus 2-0 a massive result for the Jets in their quest to get the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, one of the best quarterback prospects of the century in Trevor Lawrence. 
So uh, you just you just went off on quote unquote deciding the future of the NFL to describe a situation that will decide if either team is capable of finishing fourth in their division next or third in their division next year. Is that correct? I mean, I think uh, if the Jets were to have Trevor Lawrence next year, they become in the next four year window a possible Super Bowl contender. And just but- because you have. That's the future of the NFL. All right. So with that, <laughs> with that unbelievable explanation, um, the Titans, Sam and I both sniffed this out. They were able to take care of the Ravens and OT in what was pretty much the most exciting game of the week, I think. Um, the Browns fended off the Eagles' late attack. The Bengals, after Joe Burrow got hurt, of course, couldn't hold off uh, that incredible Washington football team. The Saints pummeled the Falcons as expected. The Jets, as Sam mentioned, actually looked like they had a chance of beating the Chargers. Um, but they didn't. But they looked like a, like they knew what they were doing. Joe Flacco, truly a transcendent talent. Um, in a game that broke both our hearts and our wallets. And I just want to reemphasize our wallets. The Dolphins couldn't figure out how to take care of the money line, the money line against the Broncos. Not that it mattered because the Packers fell in OT, but it still hurt. And honestly, and we'll, we'll note in that game that Tua got benched. Uh, oh yeah. Didn't right. It really looked like, and didn't really look like it was doing it. And, and Ryan Fitzmagic almost led a furious comeback. They're down 2010 going into the fourth quarter when Fitzpatrick comes in. And he literally had a touchdown. Leads the field goal drive, drives them all the way down the field from the one-yard line where they recovered a fumble, looking to tie the game, ends up throwing a tough interception in the red zone. But Fitzmagic almost did what he always does, and that's be magical. These two teams are actually super interesting because you just kind of glossed over something, Sam, with the game on the line, the – Dolphins defense forced a fumble at the goal line and they have done shit like this all year. Like they're a really tough team. They have a talented core of receivers. They have two viable starting quarterbacks. They have a, you know, cadre of, of running backs who are somewhere between good and, and pretty okay. And their defense plays hard, but also the Broncos who've had some really bad losses this season and have had quarterback trouble, obviously, um, they have proven that their defense is legit anchored by Simmons in the safety position and their offense is not too bad. They got these young receivers, KJ Hamler and uh, Tim Patrick who are, and Jerry Judy, man, they got some good young receivers and this quarterback, whoever the heck they're throwing right now is learning how to lock back. Drew lock is back. back. Oh, okay. Okay. That's why they looked a little better, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think people sleep on these Broncos. I don't see them as like really changing the season in any way, but I don't know, like look out for them. They could sneak into the playoffs this year or next. Um, I will say we now have, I think three games of Tua. And I, I think Tua is going to be a good quarterback in the league for a lot of years. Nothing against Tua. But at this stage in their careers, after watching Fitzpatrick just ball for a few games, and the, the Dolphins have been winning with Tua, but it wasn't because the offense was going crazy. It was mostly because of the defense. Like, yeah. I think, you know, I don't see how the Dolphins don't go back to starting Fitzpatrick. He gives them a better chance to win games. And, and they're playing for the playoffs right now. It, yeah, that's nothing against Tua, but it's just like 
they have a chance to make the playoffs for the first time in a bunch of years. And I feel like you got to go with the guy who's, who's performing and that's Fitzpatrick. I agree 100%. Um, it will be interested to see if that's what they do, but I agree 100%. Um, the Cowboys finally got a W. They did it over the Vikings. No surprise, little rivalry there that the Cowboys dominate. Um, and I think the big, big story here, obviously, is that Andy Dalton is back. And he, again, as we mentioned earlier in the season, is like a premier backup quarterback. Before Ryan Fitzpatrick was a backup, he was like the best backup in the league, I thought. Um, and so when he came onto the scene, we were like, oh, it's fine. Then he got a concussion. Then he got COVID. Um, and he's been out for a while. He's back. And the first game he's back, surprise, surprise, the Cowboys don't look like trash. And I just want to point out to everybody who's been counting the Cowboys out and saying that their season is over. I have repeatedly said this. Do I think they're the most likely winner of the disgusting, you know, reprehensible NFC East? No. But do I think that they have a legitimate chance to still win it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they're a half game out at this point. Everyone's got a chance to win it. Oh, it's disgusting. But a lot of people were sleeping on them, and, and we just forgot. Andy Dalton's coming back. He's coming back, and he is not great, but he is good enough to win as many games with his receiving core and the running backs they have. CeeDee Lamb looked like the most explosive playmaker in football. He ran one in. He caught one. He almost caught another. Like – they are a better team than the rest of the teams in that division still. And don't forget. I will say, you know who I think is the best team in this division, and I'm not joking when I say it. The Giants? I, I think it's the Giants. They're three and three in their last six. Yeah. Those three losses are by a combined, I think, six points. And they almost beat, they, you know, if Daniel Jones can throw an easy flat route, yeah, they almost, they, they're in overtime against the, against the Bucks, Like, the Giants have been a legit football team for a bunch of weeks now. And, you know, I think outside – they have a lot of weapons on offense outside of Daniel Jones. And if Daniel Jones could just be – you know, if he could just not fumble the ball. Like, even you'll take some of the dumb interceptions, just to stop fumbling. Them. Like, oh, see, I, I disagree. I think we'll take some of the fumbles since he's their most dynamic, like, rusher. But he just cannot keep throwing – like, you know the fumble. He's about to get sacked, and he's like, oh, no, I don't want to get sacked. And he just tosses the ball directly to a linebacker in the middle of the field. Like, those are so easy to stop. And if he could just stop those, they would stop handcuffing themselves. I agree they've been playing the best football, but you cannot deny that the level of talent on those two rosters is not comparable. Like, people have been out of their minds. The Cowboys are stacked. They're stacked on defense despite not playing like it. They're stacked on offense, and they can play like it. I think they will start to. Um, another supposed powerhouse, the Packers can't again, hurting my wallet, take care of the Colts falling in OT by a field goals length and Phillip rivers look good. Aaron Rodgers looks okay, I guess. Well, I mean, they blew a pretty big lead. The Packers, they're up like two touchdowns at least. Um, I think I, was it 17 points maybe? It might have even been 17. Yeah, they were up. All, I, I wasn't watching that game, but I was following it because I had the Packers in a parlay along with Aaron. And, you know, I, I had rigged them off as a win. Like, right. I was like, oh, we got the Packers. Now we just got to worry about the Dolphins pulling this out. And then the Packers ended up blowing it. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling uh, fumbled on the first drive of, of OT, setting up the loss. You know, I still think the Packers are – 
a good team. Rodgers, he's not like the every week incredible player that he used to be, but I still think on days that he's on, there's still like almost no quarterback that can hang with him outside of Mahomes and, and Russ. Yeah, and I agree, um, but I just don't understand why he's on sometimes and he's not on others. It's like he is a top-tier quarterback. It The differences between the – I guess what I'm saying is the differences between the games don't appear physical to me. It's not like one game I see him and I'm like, oh, physically his arm looks good. He's moving well in the pocket. Like he's going to play well this game. And then the other game I don't. He always looks like Aaron Rodgers. He's lumbery and like weirdly agile. Um, you know, he makes plays. It's just that some weeks those plays that he makes work and some weeks they get picked or somebody fumbles it or he gets sacked. I don't know. Um, it, it's been, it's been tough. Their offensive line definitely hasn't done him any favors, um, but I think they'll write the ship. The question is, are the Colts legit? The Colts keep winning big games. Phillip Rivers can't throw the ball more than 25 yards, but he certainly knows how to run an offense. Um, are Their they going to contend? Really good. They might have the best defense in the league. No, Um, the Steelers are just nasty. The Steelers are good, too. I mean, both those teams have incredible defenses. Uh, But, yeah, the the Colts' defense is legit. And then – Is there uh, – go on. Oh, I was going to move on. Do you have anything else to say about the – I was going to say, is there there any more football, or do we want to go to our bold prediction? See, there is. There's just these last two games. The Chiefs take care of the Raiders. The Raiders pulling a Todd Gurley and uh, accidentally running the ball in. Also costing me my uh, fantasy matchup in the league I play for a lot of money. He had both Tyreek um, and somebody else. I don't know, but they combined to like give him the points in the last 25 seconds of the game or something. So that killed me. Um, but the Chiefs do pull it out. Uh, quite a good team, but uh, they lost to the Raiders earlier this season. Don't forget, they seem to have a weak spot for whatever John Gruden's cooking up over there. Um, and then, of course, the Rams and Bucks game is going on right now. Uh, besides for the fact that it's a cash cow for me, the only thing to mention is that um, this game apparently is just the game plan for the Bucks. They're going to throw like screens and and just out passes to Mike Evans, and they're just going to let him run into six LADBs because this happened about four or five times the game already. Um, he just runs into him full speed. Sometimes he runs through him. Sometimes he flips onto his back, but it, they're just playing Mike Evans as uh, like a cannon. Um, can we f- send him into the end zone somehow? So we'll keep you updated on this, but I think we've made you wait long enough for uh, the big ticket item, the MLB. Um, but before we get to our bold predictions, which Sam, are we able to put that off until after we stop recording today? Sorry, put one off. Our bold predictions. Could we just leave those until we turn the mic off? No, I think we'll do them on on mic. All right, well, then let's start with the news, at least. Um, One that you're going to love is that Sandy Alderson officially um, taking the reins, confirming that Rojas will return in 2021, um, and also announcing that they'll hire a GM as Alderson will be president of baseball operations. Sam, I know you like this move for the Mets. Yeah, so I think initially the plan had been for Alderson to, to sort of assume the role of team president in running the organization generally. This is the role that Jeff Wilpon ha- held for many years. Uh, and the idea was to hire a president of baseball operations and a general manager under him. I think the issue is that there haven't been that many high-level executive candidates in their minds uh, appear for these job openings. So they're not going to 
panic and hire someone that they don't think is the guy. So instead, Sandy's going to take the reins as president of baseball ops for now, and then still hire a GM who they think might be able to uh, transform into the president of baseball ops, but they're not going to sort of stretch thin their hiring process unless they really get the guys that they want. And then the other interesting piece of news we have is that apparently the Rays, and this has been confirmed by multiple sources, they say the Rays are open to trading Blake Snell. Um, and he's got three years, 39 left on his contract. And uh, he's 27 years old. I mean, that's extremely team friendly for a player of his caliber. Um, and maybe they think, you know, they got Trevor Bauer on the market, but maybe they see a starting pitcher market that's really, really weak. And they think we're the Rays. We have to make do with what we have. Can we get far enough above market price for this player right now that we feel we can still put ourselves in a position to seriously contend for the world series again in the next three or four years while we still have glass now. Um, and of course they're looking at Wander Franco coming up and they still have so much depth. This is classic Rays, And I know it seems kind of heartless because he's a guy who's come up with the Rays. He seems to really like the Rays, um, But this makes sense for what they have to do to win and I will and be the, go ahead. Uh, the other thing I'll note is that the, the way the Rays have used Tyler Glassnow, sorry, Blake Snell recently, is that's a guy that they simply don't think can go a third time through the lineup. It's just, it's just become obvious. He doesn't pitch deep into games. Yeah. I think it's been, it's been over a year, I think, since he finished sixth inning. So he is definitely a very, you know, not far removed from being a Cy Young, uh, and is obviously a great pitcher, but if the Rays sort of see him as a guy that's only going to get them two times through the lineup, maybe they think with the way we build our bullpen, with, we, with, with the way we approach pitching, you know, how much value are we really losing when we're only having a – like we can get through two times through the lineup with an opener, with a few of our bullpen guys. So let's see what value there is out there for Blake Snell. And if we could get what we think is better value for our team than what he provides by going – two times through the lineup, maybe slightly worse than our bullpen would, then like, let's go. Yeah. And I think that he very well could bring in that haul because again, his contract is so friendly and on a, a lot of teams are going to be willing to pay for that right now with such a weak market. So um, that'll be something super interesting to keep our eyes on unusual to see a young player, an XI young winner with a team friendly contract on the move. But when you're the Rays, you got to play a different game. Um, just want to keep you guys updated. The Rams, Jared Goff finds Josh Reynolds, my low-key uh, flame for first TD bets in his game sometimes. Uh, and now they make this game 14-14, four minutes and 31 left in this in the half. That, that wasn't Josh Reynolds. It was Van Jefferson, I think. Was it really? Um, well, well, we'll check on that. We'll put our fact team. You guys on that? Okay, they our it's fact Van team. Jefferson. Our fact team just did come back. They did confirm that it was wide receiver Van Jefferson selected with the 57th pick by the Rams. Um, but I think that actually segues us really nice into our next segment, Sam. So um, I'm a guy who you guys may know makes mistakes on air, um, mostly because I do it live and uh, I don't uh, spend too much time thinking before the words come out of my mouth. So we're going to run through the bold predictions that Sam and I made before this 2020 season. 
And uh, here's a little trigger warning for you kids out there who uh, want to stay safe. I make some mistakes in these predictions. And I think one thing that's helpful to keep in mind is um, these were supposed to be bold predictions. And I told Sam in the episode that his predictions, some of them weren't so bold. He told me the same <laughs> thing. So, you know, but these were supposed to be bold predictions. Um, and also people make mistakes and that's okay. Um, so let's just keep that in mind as we run in here. Um, why don't we trade off talking about bold predictions? Sam, uh, since you're the oracle of sorts here, start with one of your bold predictions. All right, so my first bold prediction was that a team would sweep a season series with one of their division rivals. So every team played their division rival 10 times. And I said one team would sweep all 10 games against one of their division rivals. This did not occur. But I will note that there were three division series where this got very close. The Chicago White Sox went 9-1 and one against the Detroit Tigers, and they also went 9-1 and one against the Kansas City Royals. And then the New York Yankees went 9-1 and one against the Boston Red Sox. So that's three right there that came within one game. And then there were a few instances of Egan 2 as well. Cleveland went Egan 2 against the White Sox. Seattle went Egan 2 against the Rangers. Tampa Bay went eight and two against the Yankees. Toronto went eight and two against Baltimore. The Dodgers went eight and two against Aaron Diamondbacks. I don't think Padres that went eight. <laughs> and actually, two teams went eight and two against the the Diamondbacks. What? The San Francisco Giants did as well. Oh my God! And the San Diego Padres went eight and two against the Giants. So that is. Uh, Seven instances of Egan 2 and three instances of Nagan 1. So while this bold prediction was not correct, I do think it was it came close to coming true. I'm not going to take a big L on it. I don't think it was that bold. That's all I'm saying. But uh, at the end of the day, you're right. It came pretty close. Um, my first prediction, and I suppose that this is uh, the least wrong, besides for one that got disqualified because we don't know the answer yet. Um, my least wrong bold prediction was 2020 will be a bad year for pitchers. Essentially, it was the exact same year as the year before. If anything, it was a little better year for pitchers than 2019. Um, we certainly saw a small improvement from starters. We saw a very minor improvement from relievers. Uh, the 2020 ERA sitting at 445 league wide, 2019 at 4.51. Um, and I will note, actually, that this was the first year in recent memory, I think, where starters uh, and relievers had, like, basically the same ERA. So last year, starters had a 4.54 ERA, relievers were 4.46. This year, starters were 4.46, relievers were 4.44. Of course, starters threw fewer innings as a proportion of, of games than really has ever happened before. Mm -hmm. And we might have finally seen teams reach an equilibrium. Uh, you know, one thing that one principle of game theory is that if uh, if one strategy has a higher expected value than the other strategy, then you should always use, you know, that strategy. And basically until now, using your reliever always had a higher expected value than your starter until this year. So maybe we finally reached an equilibrium in starters and relievers being used in the right proportion. And I think that that actually strikes to the core of what I missed here, if we're actually going to be a bit self-reflective, is I kind of thought like, oh, pitchers just won't be ready. Um, 
we're going to see a, a more rust from them than we'll see from uh, from hitters. But while that wasn't really the case or it wasn't borne out by numbers, what we did see was a bigger share of innings from relievers, um, which drove starter ERA down. Um, I, th I think that's how I'm reading this. And I think it's borne out by what I watched for most of the season. Um, so I'll move on to another one of my picks here. We'll do a shot chaser. Uh, I said, and you know, I said it. Did I mean it? I don't know, but I said it. Um, that the Nats versus Reds was going to be the NLCS. Uh, and a, a lot of my reasoning centered around strength of schedule. I thought, oh, the Nats get to play the Orioles out of division. The Reds get to play the Tigers out of division. Um, and while the Reds made the wild card round and failed to advance, the Nats were just a dumpster fire. Uh, I don't think I was counting on the injuries and the COVID from the Nats. I also wasn't counting on just no offense whatsoever out of Juan, outside of Juan Soto. <clears throat> With the Reds, you know, I'm not mad about my call of them, um, not just because they could have theoretically ended up in the NLCS, but I really thought their team underperformed. Like just watching them, I really thought their offense struggled to support what's been the best pitching staff there in many, many years. Somehow their offense kind of took a step back. Um, and, uh, I didn't see it coming, but that's okay. See, what I don't understand is how this was your bold prediction when when we did our season predictions, you had the Nationals miss the playoffs. Well, it's called hedging our bets. And <laughs> I put more chips in the more important one, which are our season predictions, and that'll be um, one of the rundowns of a future episode here. But – I had to hedge here in the bold prediction. So while I'll take it now here, I'll be happy to say, look, I knew the Nats weren't making the playoffs. All right. Let me give my second bold prediction. So my second bold prediction was that Yoannis Cespedes would hit 12 home runs and have an 125 WRC plus. Now this obviously did not happen as Yoannis Cespedes opted out of the season very early on within the first week very conveniently for this bold prediction yeah you know given how the season was progressing i don't i think the home runs maybe had a chance to hit the 125 wrc plus was probably not going to hit i don't think he was going to get quite enough playing time but i'm going to rule it an incomplete maybe take the loss on it but i now if you listen back to the episode i said this is my sort of compromise prediction, but the prediction I actually want to make that Aaron's going to mock me too much for making, so I'm not going to say, is that the New York Mets are going to have six qualified hitters with the 120 WRC plus or higher. Aaron called it ridiculous. Now, let me, let me go through the, some WRC pluses of Mets qualified hitters. Michael Conforto, 157. Dominic Smith, 165. Brandon Nimmo, 148. Robinson Cano, 141. Jeff McNeil, 130. That gets us to five. Now, I've comfortably Luis, Guillorme had a Luis Guillorme had a 144 WRC plus, but that was only in 68 play appearances. The next two in qualified for the Mets are Pete Alonso and J.D. Davis. Pete Alonso had a 119, and J.D. Davis had a 117. So if you are you know, ever so generous and allow me to count Pete Alonso, as a 120 from 119. I mean, maybe I could ask Fangraphs to get a real decimal 
predict, you know, a decimal calculation of this WRC plus. Can we see a, a way in which it actually ends up rounding to 120, perhaps? And, you know, I'm going to give myself the win on that one. Right. I mean, I, I, I got to be a good sport here and give that one to you. That's just a really great pick. Um, I think the big X factor for me is Dom Smith. Um, and then really just all those guys performing at once. I just didn't see that sixth guy. Um, and it turned out that he was not only there in Dom Smith, but you had one other one waiting in the wings that would have pushed this even without Dom Smith and JD Davis. Um, so I think and, it was, and it was somehow a good they still didn't come close to making an 18 playoff. Yeah. With, <laughs> with the best pitcher on the planet. So you go riddle me that Mets, but Hey, Steve Cohen's here to save the day. So it's going to be better next year. Um, that's right. Here's one from me that didn't pan out. And I just got to say that this was indicative of the type of season I was in for as a fan. I said Nick Ahmed wouldn't make an error. At the time, I thought it was my least bold prediction. I thought I was sneaking one in under our noses. He went plenty of 60-odd game stretches in his career without an error. But he found a way to make seven errors en route to the D-backs defense becoming a liability somehow, despite two gold glove candidates in on their team. Uh, um, the offense was never there. The pitching was never there. They sold off at the deadline. And now they're one of the three longest odds in Vegas to win the World Series next year. Absolutely disrespectful to the many, many Arizonans who not only, you know, flipped the electoral map this year, but who also poured their hearts and souls into these tiny little rattlers. Um, and it, it hurts. Seven airs for Nick Ahmed. I was off by infinity percent. Um, we'll get him. We'll get him next year. Yeah, that one was tough. And honestly, seven, I, you know, if you gave me an over under, I will get said under seven. For oh, sure. so, so that was, definitely. A, that was a tough loss there. Uh, my third bold prediction was that a qualified starting pitcher would have a sub one ERA. This didn't come particularly close to hitting. The best was uh, Shane Bieber at a one six three ERA in 77 in the third inning pitch. However, there were a, a number of relievers that ended up below one, including the league leader, Devin Williams, who in 27 innings pitched uh, had a 0.33 ERA, truly remarkable. Uh, but, you know, this prediction was a solid wrong prediction for me. I guess um, I'll do my fourth as well, then. Uh, I'd rather you well, do. Do we want to start with maybe the biggest success of these predictions or the biggest failure? Because those are our, our both of our fourth predictions. Well, we already started with – I started with my biggest success. The one that's incomplete, I'm not counting. Um, let's go one more failure, and then I'll give you – the, your biggest success well no let's go let's go because i see what we have here sorry let's go we both have one that's totally incomplete so let's go with that okay so my totally incomplete one was that mike soroka would have been over four era this year he uh of course tore his achilles in his third start only pitched 13 innings had around a four ERA in those 13 innings at three, nine, five, but it's not even worth mentioning. Yeah. This one's a solid incomplete, you know, Mike Stroka didn't really have a season this year, so we can't really judge this one. And my incomplete is that this one will eventually get judged, but I said there will be more baseball games in 2020 than in 2022 due to a CBA labor strike. 
Um, we'll see. Certainly the calculus on this has changed a bit um, with the current state of global affairs, but uh, I still feel not bad about that one. That one could still hit. And I think and, and that that would be the boldest. Got, yeah, and you definitely got sort of as many games as possible in 2020 to help you towards that win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I laid money on this, I'd be feeling really good because it's a it's a two pronger. You need a you need all the games this season, and we got all the games this season. And then you need a big shutout of games in 2022. So we'll see. I'm actually rooting and against it, that, but it's a nice emotional hedge. Yeah, if you actually if you include base if you include playoff games, perhaps you know there are more playoff games than ever this year. If they go back to a less expanded playoffs, you could you could get a little bit of a game there, you know. Yeah, we it's could definitely get something. So, so this is not wrong yet. So yeah, then, let me um uh let, no, let me I'll start. I'll I'll start. start. I'll start. All right. Sam and I both made one prediction that was centered around a player. We didn't plan it this way, but this is kind of what we did. Oh, I guess Sam made the Ona Cespedes, but it kind of morphed into the Mets. Um and Soroka. Oh, and I made Nick comment. Okay, fine, fine. This is one example of a single player prediction that Sam and I both made. Um, I turned my eyes towards Tim Anderson, who, well, just hear me out here, okay? I turned my eyes towards Tim Anderson, and I said that Tim Anderson would hit under 220. Um, and in the end, he didn't hit under 220. He actually ended up hitting 322. He had a 143 WRC plus. And let me tell you, that's pretty good. But let me tell you something else, okay? That I just frankly picked the wrong guy. I picked the wrong shortstop. I said Tim Anderson would hit under 320. I'm not going to say I didn't mean it because I obviously did, but I was thinking of a similar profile to Javi Baez who hit 203 this year. Now, let me make my case to you. I see these guys as very, very similar players. Tim Anderson walks at somewhere from a three to 5% clip and K's somewhere from 21 to 28%. Javi Baez historically walks from a three to 6% clip and K's even more from at least 25 and up percent. But they're very, very similar players. Javier Baez obviously is the more experienced of the two players, and it would have been even bolder to make the prediction about him this year. But I, yes, I failed on Tim Anderson, but I still believe, and I'm sorry again to Jamie McFarlane, avid listener who loves Tim Anderson and thinks I'm a fool for this take. Sam also thinks I'm a fool for this take. I well, would not. I, I didn't before the season. Okay. I, I was with you before the season that, you know, I thought, you know, I think when you gave this bold prediction, I said, well, I don't think he's going to hit below 220. But like, I agree that I don't believe Tim Anderson is the hitter he was last year. So and you then you could say he, we, we were both made fools. of. Yeah. And then he just was, he was even better. But again, just to my point, like this is Javi's first super big dip in a while, but seeing it out of him makes me confident that there's a chance we will see it out of Tim Anderson again in a season that we think he's very good. This is an example of somebody that whether it's fair or not, and I may be missing out big time. I have just written him off. Like if I had the opportunity to take him in fantasy, it would have to be really, really late in a draft, really, really great value. I'm never going to reach this guy because in my head, he's always one season away from slipping 
into like seriously low average, the power going down, the K's going up, um, and the walks will never be there. So I'm sorry, Tim Anderson, you're a great player. You're still welcome on the podcast to come tell me what a big, you know, lawn jockey moron I am because I don't know anything about actually playing the game in the major leagues, but I could see him slipping back as we saw with Javi Baez this year. That's my, that's my defense of a terrible pick. Now Sam can get real glib for many, many reasons about his player oriented pick. Cause it was better. Yep. So my prediction was that, um, Danielson Lamette would be uh, a top 20, would be a top it's like 20 Heyman on Corum. When his name comes up, I just got a boo. <laughs> would be a top 20 qualified pitcher in ERA or fifth. At the end of the season, he was fifth in the league in ERA with a 209 in ERA. He was fourth in the league in fifth with a 248 fifth. Honestly, was not top three in Cy Young voting in the NL, but you easily could have made an argument that he should have been. Just an absolutely tremendous season from Lamette, who struck out over 12 batters per nine. 2.6 2.6 walks per nine, finally limited the home run ball, as I said he would in my prediction, uh, giving up only 8% home runs per fly ball. Um, and yeah, it was an absolutely tremendous season for Lamette, who emerged, you know, as having the profile of a top 10 starting pitcher in baseball. Now, why did I say this was going to happen? I said it because he already. No, why had did you say it was out. bold? That's what I want to know. What? That's what you want to know, Aaron. I just listened to the episode before we did this, and your response to this prediction was, this is your prediction I disagree most with. There's no way this is going to happen. I'm emotional about Denilson Lamette for no <laughs> understandable reason, Sam. There's truly no basis to this emotion I have for him, but you know that I speak I speak very passionately about Denilson Lamette not being a premier starter in the National League. All right, so that's you know maybe I was I was made to think. But so many people were high on him. So many people were like, "This guy is is going to be the guy this year." It was maybe maybe to be bold, I should have said top ten instead of top twenty. But that's still what a hit, yeah. Uh, But yeah, maybe I was I was made to think it was bold because you were so irrationally low on him. So I was thinking, man, man, people really don't like Donaldson Lamette. Aaron's always talking about how he doesn't like him. <laughs> so I caused <laughs> this. I caused this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that was that was one I was proud of. He's he's the guy I really targeted, thinking he was going to break out, be a great pitcher in the league, and, and he did. He he will be for years to come. Uh, for what? So those are like our- the first half of next season, and then never again. This the the Diamondbacks are gonna run roughshod over Denilson Lamette next season. Okay, stay tuned for an absolute barrage of Calhoun, Peralta, Ahmed, Dalton Varsho getting in the mix next year. Forget the pods. Forget Lamette. All right. all right well if you're an absolute maniac i guess uh, i guess i got nothing to say well listen guys thanks for stopping by once again um we're gonna wrap it up right here but i just want to say if you have something you want to hear as we tell you every time 
If you have something you want to say to us, uh, to our faces, come on the pod. If you want to say it to our email inboxes, tell us what morons we are, say it to thealonzovet at gmail.com. If you want to say it to our Twitter faces, uh, say it at thealonzovet. Um, you know, like, subscribe, all those things that we forget to tell you to do because this is not something that we are adept at doing, but that you should do to help us bring the beautiful game of baseball and statistical statistical analysis of other sports to your friends and the general public. Um, thank you guys for stopping by. And for another week of the Alonzo Bets, we're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. Absolutely beautiful beautiful spiel there and i think we we haven't given the the listeners a full spiel recently and 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 we really needed one yeah i you but know some, that, uh, sometimes we forget it, it's a biz uh and and uh, we got to get out there we currently make zero dollars and zero cents that's how it will likely stay for the foreseeable future but we're out here saying we need better audio quality to come to you guys because we're staying COVID safe right now. So we need better audio quality. We're going to have to buy some mics right out of our own pockets. We're poor. We're thinking, you know, maybe uh zip recruiter wants to get on here and, uh, and pay us two cents an ad. We'll tell you guys all about zip recruiter, just a hint, hint, hint zip recruiter. So anyway, with that little soliloquy, we really will leave you guys um, for the Alonzo bets tabbing it up tonight. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I am Sam, signing off for yeah.